following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church, and welcome. Those of you joining us online who are outside, we glad to be worshipping with you and coming around God's word. It's a bit of a shame that we are inside, not outside, but uh, the ground was very, very muddy and soggy out there. It would not have been very pleasant at all. Um, so this morning, as we continue our series, New Year's Attitudes, I want to pose a question to you. Have you ever tried not to think about something? And found yourself thinking about it all the time. All right? It's like me telling you, don't think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do. And you go, I'm not going to think about a pink elephant. And yet you do. Worry and anxiety and the things that cause that is a little bit like that. We, we, we kind of go, oh, I don't want to be thinking about that because it's just going to worry me and make me anxious and stress me out. I don't want to be thinking about my work situation or my family problem or the, the, the sickness in my family or my kids and whatever it is. And yet we were just constantly in that space of being worried and worried and worried because we just can't just do that and not think about it. And so this morning, as we continue our series looking at New Year's attitudes with all of the uncertainty of this year and whatever challenges we might face, we're going to talk about peace today. Peace. Now, I want to pose another question to you. What does peace look like for a follower of Jesus? What does it mean? Does it mean that we we don't get worried, we don't get anxious, that we're just these cool cucumbers, we just, nothing phases us, nothing bothers us, you know, we go through life floating on these clouds? Is that what a Christian's peace, is this what Jesus' peace looks like for a follower of Jesus? And maybe some of you resonate with that idea of peace and relate to that and go, yeah, that's me. Nothing phases me, you know, like, you know, I I just go through life. I don't think about stuff. I don't worry about stuff. It's just life is great. Others of you kind of, no, you go, no, that's not my reality. You know, some of, some of us, we just get anxious getting out of bed in the morning and thinking about what we're going to have for breakfast is like intensely stressful. You know, and I want to say, wherever we are on that spectrum, most of us have probably experienced staying up at night with something going around in our head. Whether it's something at work, something in our family, something in our personal life, where we just can't get that thing out of our head. And it keeps us up. And we might not feel the anxiety and the worry that somebody else might, but it still kicks around in our head, bothering us. As Morpheus said, it's like a splinter in your mind. This is from... Matrix, one of my all-time favorite movies. It's like a splinter in your mind that just won't go away. It's just there. Regardless of where we're at on, on this spectrum, we need to be careful that we don't judge or condemn others who are at different places on the spectrum. And realize that we all bring different things to this idea of worry and peace and anxiety. And we shouldn't look down on someone and go, well, why aren't you just trusting God more? Because that's what you do and you don't worry and you're not anxious. And kind of dispelling that, here's take two of these and you'll be right in the morning kind of Christianity can be more damaging and hurtful to people. So we need to be careful. But we also need to recognize that God's heart is that regardless of where we are on that spectrum, for all of us to grow in our trust of him. 
Whether we're the super cool people, we can kind of move into pride where we don't want to, we don't need to trust God because, you know, we, we, we got it. We're, we're okay. And the super anxious people, you know, we, we're just so busy worrying about stuff that we don't actually trust God with anything. That's the point that God wants us to come to. So as we kind of begin this conversation, I want to, again, I've been enjoying hearing some comments back from you guys, is to help us together try and kind of figure out what this idea of peace for a Christian looks like. Because the biblical idea of peace is very different to our culture's idea where there's this idea of tranquility. It's almost this state of mind of escaping from the troubles of our world and entering into this alternate space of serenity and tranquility and calm and, you know, we're not phased by anything. I find that the biblical understanding of peace is very, very different to that. It's gritty. It's real. It's earthy. It's grounded in people's stories and it's messy and it's complicated. So from your experience of this, help me define what peace kind of looks like for a Christian. What, what, would, what has been your experience? How would you define what your understanding of biblical peace might look like? Let me hear some thoughts. Christine. Yep. Okay. Okay, great. So it's not about circumstances. Yeah, it's about trusting God in spite of or in the midst of your circumstances. Great. Any other thoughts? What would, what would Christian peace look like for you? Say that again. Contentment in all circumstances. So picking up on Anoja's great message last week on contentment, I think the two things are very closely related. Um, so yeah, if you haven't watched that and heard that message, I encourage you to do that. It'll really help put this one in, in a broader context. Yeah, great, being content. Any other thoughts? Yep, go on. Yeah, great. Wow. Uh, peace is trusting that God made you and that you are what you are. And that, and I guess talking about God's love for you in that space. Yep, great. Somebody else? Knowing that God's in control. Yep, great. Excellent. Knowing that, sorry, cut you off. Knowing that you're never alone, that God's always with you in that space. Diane, acceptance Tell me more. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Accepting who you are, Diane was saying, and that we often want to be somebody else, but they're already taken, so we should just be content being who we are. I like that. That's good. They're already taken. Great. Look, as, as, sorry, Valerie. Taking responsibility. Yeah, not blaming others or, you know, your circumstances or whatever. Yep, great. Cynthia? Yep, stillness and quietness. Stillness and quiet, yep. So when the kids are at school. 
peace comes. Uh, as, look, as a starting point, a, a working definition, I've just kind of put it very simply as, as this. It's having this security or this trust that God's got us. That God's got us. You know, and I think that kind of catches and encapsulates a lot of what you're saying. Because as I look at the biblical evidence, I, I see many of the Hall of Famers of faith, you know, the giants of faith that we look up to and respect, they wrestled with worry and anxiety. You know, um, I've just got a list there for you. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Jeremiah, Paul. The, these are all references where God's got to come alongside these people and go, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the reason, only reason God would need to say that is because they're terrified. They're, they're freaking out. They are worried. They're anxious. They're troubled by something. And God's got to come along and say, I've got you. I've got this. It's Okay. You're going to be okay. And if these Hall of Famers experience it, then maybe we need to think of peace as being something that's not just a state of mind, but a reality of our heart. That somehow there's a settledness and a rest and a security in who God is and who we are in God that allows us to know something of God's presence in the midst of the valleys and the storms of life. God's got us. Another example is even Jesus, the, the son of God on the eve of his crucifixion is in the garden and he's talking about his soul being deeply troubled and overwhelmed at the prospect of the cross. And yet in the midst of that, he's able to find the peace of God that says, not my will, but yours be done. Powerful. So how do we cultivate this attitude of peace. That's what we've been talking about with these attitudes that, you know, on the one hand, uh, many of these things that we're looking at in this series, it's uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians 6 talks about, uh, the, uh, sorry, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And many of these things, love, joy, peace that we've been looking at are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but we also can cultivate that. We can create the soil and a garden and an environment that is conducive for the Spirit of God to be growing these and developing these in our lives. So I want us to turn in the Bible to a very well-known passage, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus engages with the disciples and their, their worries and their concerns. And we're, we're going to read from verse 25 to the end of this chapter. And again, uh, this is such a familiar passage. I just want to draw out some things for you here. And then we're going to move on to talking about something that I, I trust will help you in the midst of worrying and anxiety-causing circumstances that we all will face at some point. Jesus says, Therefore, verse 25, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Implied answer, no one. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't 
Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The first thought I want to share with you in terms of cultivating peace in your heart, God's peace in your heart, is accept your worry. Accept it. See, sometimes as Christians, we we feel guilty when we worry. We feel condemned when we worry because we think, I'm not being a good Christian. I, I don't have enough faith. I'm struggling. We read this passage as though Jesus is wanting to condemn us when we worry. But I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. I mean, clearly Jesus is worried about us worrying because he keeps repeating it over and over again in this passage. I think what he wants to do is, yes, he wants to challenge us about where our our confidence is and that we can put our confidence in the Father. But I think he wants to reassure us. I don't think Jesus is saying is, you shouldn't worry. You should trust God instead. I think he's just trying to say, disciple, follower, you don't need to worry. Your Father's got you. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do here. And so I think the first thing we need to do in cultivating peace is just acknowledge that we're not at peace. They were anxious. They were worried. Not try and suppress it. Not try and deny it. Not try and feel condemned. But to recognize that our Father cares about our cares. He cares about the things that we're concerned about. He cares about the things that we get worried about. And that's why Jesus is speaking into this for us right now. He wants us to put our confidence in our Heavenly Father's care in the midst of the inevitable challenges of life that will cause us worry and anxiety. Uh, There was an incident in New York in 2016 where a whole bunch of people were getting trapped in elevators. Now, for some of you, that might be a major worry, anxiety to get stuck in an elevator. And I think in one year, they had five people die and a whole bunch of people got injured. And so uh, the New York City, they launched an ad campaign to educate people on how to stay calm and be safe. And the worst cases they found were people who tried to save themselves when something went wrong. Isn't that so like human nature? And they said that the best plan of action is simply to ring, to relax, and to wait. To wait. Now, if you've been stuck in an elevator even for 30 seconds you would know how terrifying and hard that might be. Just to wait. And that's what they said. And this is what they said. They said, we are making a commitment to you that the New York Building Authority is going to respond promptly to protect people from injury and extract them from their predicament. So just wait for us. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, there'll be things that will make you worry, but ring, relax, and wait for your father. He'll take care of you. He's got you. The second thing that I think will help us cultivate uh, an attitude and and a disposition of peace in our heart is embracing our identity. Embracing our identity. And in this passage, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's comparing us to the birds and he's comparing us to the flowers. It's not that Jesus is doing agricultural lessons here or teaching us about the world around us. He's using that to teach us a deeper and a more underlying reality. And he uses language of comparison. And he's saying, remember who you are. You are so much more, infinitely more valuable than the, the birds of the field that your father cares about. 
You are infinitely more significant than a flower that's just here today and gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire. You are infinitely more valuable to your father than those things. And if, if your father can care for those things, then how much more? How much more will he care for you? That's the point. Jesus is trying to say, remember that he is your, he uses language, heavenly father. And just earlier in this chapter, he's taught them about prayer. And he said to them, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that we can come to him and pray and ask for daily bread to sustain us because he is our heavenly father. And so Jesus is saying, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And remember how loved you are. As we've been hearing all through this morning's service. How valued you are. How precious you are. How significant you are to the Father. That he was willing to give up his son for you. Embrace your identity. There was a story told about a, a plane trip that a bunch of people were on. And, and the, the captain came on the, the radio and was warning people that you know they had to suspend the drink service. And got everyone to put their seat belts on. And saying look there's some turbulence ahead and sure enough you know the plane kind of headed into some really rough weather and started to pitch and roll and people were freaking out and asking for sick bags and a whole bunch of stuff and anyway the plane finally landed and everyone got there safely and some of the passengers noticed that there was a little girl sitting in one of the seats next to them and throughout the whole time she just kind of stayed calm she just kind of sat in her seat just reading her book doing her own thing wasn't bothered at all and they, when they got off the plane, they said, they asked her and said, you know, how come you stayed so calm while everybody else was kind of freaking out? And this is what she said. She said, well, the pilot is my father and he was bringing me home. And I kind of went, that's what Jesus is trying to get us to grasp here. You, you don't need to worry. Why? Because your father will bring you home. He's got you. And if you remember who you are, how loved you are, how precious you are, that will help grow peace in your heart. The third thing Jesus helps us understand here, which is I think really the significant and crucial point that Jesus is trying to make is that we need to reorient our priorities. Reorient our priorities. If you notice, this section, verse 25, begins with a therefore, which immediately means that this teaching is connected to a preceding teaching of Jesus. And if you just go back a few verses from verses 19 to 24, we get to that scary teaching where Jesus starts talking about money. And he starts talking about not storing up treasure on earth, but storing up treasure in heaven. That's a shift. It's a reorienting of what we pursue. You see, because... We pursue the things we value. And here's another golden nugget. And we worry about the things we value. If you didn't value your health, you wouldn't worry about it. If you didn't value your home, you wouldn't insure it. If you didn't value relationships, you wouldn't care about the damage that you cause. And that's not a bad thing. But Jesus is saying, if you want to know the peace of God, something in your heart, has to change about the things that you are pursuing. If you, as a Christian, you just say, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but the orientation of your heart hasn't changed to follow after the things that Jesus would be about, you will continue to 
to know anxiety and worry because the things that you value will always be under threat. That's what Jesus says. There's moth and rust and thieves that break. And if you value material things and you put your security and your confidence in pursuing those things, and as Jesus says in this passage, food, clothing, all of those things. And he says the pagans run after those things. Why? Because they don't know God. The pagans who don't know God, they run after all these things. If you pursue those things, you will not have the peace of God. They're irreconcilable. Irreconcilable. And so Jesus calls his followers to reorient our hearts and our priorities in a different direction. Verse 21 of chapter 6, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Reorient your values, your priorities. And that's why Jesus in verse 33, as he comes to the end of this teaching, says, but, that's the alternative, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Now that that word seek first in the Greek is the same as the word he used for run after. That the pagans run after. He says, but not you. As followers of me, you're supposed to run after kingdom things. God's things, God's righteousness, God's values, God's priorities. If we orient our hearts in that direction, we will know the peace of God. More and more and more. Because we know this, that God is invested in his kingdom and in his righteousness. And if our hearts pursue and long for the things that our father longs for, then we can be completely secure that the father will deliver on what his kingdom is about. And so when it comes to your work, your relationships, your singleness, your marriage, your parenting, your goals, your, your vision of the future, your, your, whatever, your investments, whatever it is, what are you pursuing? How are you pursuing them? Are you pursuing them like the pagans who don't know God? Or are you pursuing them as a follower of Jesus who says, I'm about the kingdom I'm about God's reign. I'm about honoring God with all of those things. I'm about seeking his will, seeking to please him, seeking to obey him, seeking to live under his righteousness, seeking to submit my will under his will, to be about what God is about and to seeking to honor him and to bring him glory and delight in all of those areas of my life. Jesus says, if you live that way, you'll know peace. You'll know peace. You won't need to worry. Because it doesn't matter if the thieves come in and steal. It doesn't matter if rust corrupts and if the moths eat it. It doesn't matter because your treasure is not there. It's somewhere else. There's a story told about a storm that raged through part of America. And uh, I'm going to read this one because I'm going to get the details right. A tornado ripped through Will County, Illinois. And a young father sat cradling his infant child, born just three weeks before. When the fierce howling winds finally subsided and the calm had returned, the man's house was gone and so was his baby. But according to the news report, the father found his child in a field near his house, get this, alive and well. And so was the rest of his family. When asked by a reporter if he was angry that he had lost everything he owned, he replied, no. I just thank God I have my baby and my family. Some people don't have that. Nothing else is important. You see, when you live for the kingdom 
and we live for God's righteousness, your heart pursues different things. So Jesus is telling us, you want to know peace in your heart? Run after the right things. Run after kingdom things and you'll know peace. The last thing I think Jesus would say here that will help us as we think about cultivating peace in our heart is to, and I, was, I didn't know what word to use. I was trying to find one word. I, I kind of put here, um, receive our inheritance. But I, I just think it's not strong, strong enough. And then I kind of went, claim our inheritance. That kind of sounded a bit too Pentecostal. And, and, and then so I kind of went, you know, lay a hold of. So I couldn't think of one word. But it's not just a receiving. It's actually intentionally going, God as a kingdom citizen, as a child of the king, there are things that I can lay a hold of by faith. And I think that's important. See, the kingdom that Jesus talks about here, the righteousness that Jesus talks about here, is what we have received by grace. It's what Jesus has accomplished for us. It's what Jesus has brought us into because of his death and resurrection. You see, we were aliens. We were far from God. The Bible says that our sin separates us from God. We weren't in God's kingdom. In fact, we were God's enemies and we were under God's hostility. We were God's uh, enemies. We'd commit treason and we were under God's wrath and condemnation. And Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom, who is the glorious son of God, left his kingdom to come to pursue us. And by his death and his resurrection, bring us hope and offer us forgiveness and grace so that we could come into this kingdom, so that we could receive his righteousness and therefore we can seek after the kingdom and pursue the kingdom and pursue the righteousness of Jesus because it's been given to us. We've received it freely by grace. And now, as children of the kingdom that call the creator of the universe God our heavenly father, we have incredible privileges and resources at our disposal. All of heaven's resources are at our disposal. And so we, I want to encourage you to know peace in the midst of anxiety and, and turmoil in the world. Lay a hold of these things and go, God, this is what Jesus has accomplished for me. This is what it means for me to live as a kingdom citizen. And I want to grab a hold of these things and make them mine. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, another really well-known passage. And so in these closing moments, I just want to run through these inheritances, these blessings that Jesus has acquired for us. And, and interestingly, that this is exactly what Paul's doing here in Romans 8. He's unpacking for us the benefits of being in the kingdom, the blessings and the inheritance that we have as God's kids. Because he begins in verse 14 talking about the fact that we're children of God and we call out Abba, Father. And then in verse 18, he talks about the context of still living in a broken world where we experience suffering and we have to look ahead in hope for the glory that's yet to come. And there is brokenness in our created world that all of creation, including us, is groaning for something more for the coming of God's ultimate kingdom. And into that space of being God's kids living in a broken, fallen world, he unpacks in these few verses so many incredible blessings that I trust will help you in your midst of anxiety and worry. Verse 26a, he says that the Spirit will help us. How incredible. Verse 26b to 27, the Spirit intercedes for us. There'll be times when we won't even know how to pray, Paul tells us. The the circumstances we face, the challenges we face will be so overwhelming that all we'll have is a groan. But that's okay because the Holy Spirit will pray for us according to God's will. 
Verse 28, you all know this one, that God's at work in every situation, in every circumstance for our good, for those who love him, those who are his children and who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 is probably what we don't like to read, that God is conforming us to the image of Christ. And sometimes that takes pain and hardship and difficulty. But we can be at peace even in those moments because we know God is doing something in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Verse 30 is another great verse. This talks about the process of salvation. And it says that those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now that last one is still future, but Paul talks about it as such a certainty that he uses a past tense word. And so we can be encouraged that God will finish what he started. He will finish what he started in your life. He will bring you to the glory, the fullness of glory in Christ. Verse 31, he is for us. The creator of the universe is for you. He's on your side. And so Paul says, who can be against us? Verse 32, he has given us his son. And again, Paul's saying, if he has given us his son, then how will he not also graciously give us all things? All things. Paul goes on to say, verse 33, that no one can bring a charge. Satan himself, no, there is no court high enough to bring an accusation or to condemn us. When we do fail, when we do struggle, when we do give in to our worry and our anxiety, when we decide to do things on our own strength and not trust in God, in those moments, we don't have to feel condemned. We can still come to our Father because no one can condemn us because he has chosen us and he has justified us. And only Christ really has any authority to condemn us. And he doesn't, but he died for us. And Paul goes on to say in verse 34, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. Two members of the Trinity are praying for you. That's not bad. Jesus is interceding for us. And then verses 35 to 39, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has secured God's love for you eternally. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. No spiritual force, no natural force, not even death can separate you. God's love for you has been eternally secured in Christ. But here's the thing. We trust God with our eternal future, but we struggle with tomorrow. And Paul wants us to remember the inheritance we have in Christ so that in every tomorrow, in every uncertainty, in every anxiety-causing circumstance, We look to the cross and remember what God has done to save us and bring us to himself, to make us his children, to make us kingdom citizens. And that brings us settledness to rest in God even when we don't know what he's doing and how he's at work. So let me suggest a definition of peace 2.0. And I kind of describe it this way. A confident trust or security that God has, not just us, but all the love, power, and wisdom to act in our best interest and to fulfill his good purpose in our lives. See, that's who we're talking about. He's the infinite, almighty, omnipotent creator of the universe. He's got all the power that anyone could need to change any circumstance. And so when he doesn't, 
and we will walk through the valleys. We need to be confident in his everlasting, eternal, relentless love for us and his incredible wisdom that, you know, we prayed in the prayer meeting, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But we need to trust in his wisdom that he will do what's in our best interest, even though we might sometimes disagree. And he will do what is best for us in his time. And he will do what is best so that we will accomplish his purpose. And even when Jesus said, and all these things will be added to you, it's not like you can put a wish list and go, if I just, again, the back door, if I just seek first the kingdom, then I'll get everything I need. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. You will, the Father will give you everything you need to fulfill his purpose and live out his kingdom priorities. And sometimes that might mean going without food. But that is to know the peace of God. So how should we live in all of this? Just pulling it all together with some practical things. I don't want to kind of leave this sitting up here for you. I want to ground this a little bit for you. So here's some things. The next time you feel worried or anxious that pulling all of this together, you can put into practice. One, acknowledge your feelings. Don't deny them. Bring them before your father because he cares about them. He wants to hear your heart and what's on your heart and on your mind. Secondly, as we've been talking about, remember who your father is. In the busyness of life, it's so easy to lose sight of our heavenly father who cares for us. Stand firm in your identity. Remind yourself, this is who I am. I'm loved, as we sang today. This is who I am. I'm loved, I'm, I'm significant, I'm, I'm, I matter, I'm not overlooked. It's like the Father doesn't miss. And that's why Jesus said, you know, not even a hair on our head is, is unknown to the Father. And, you know, we can worry all we want, but we can't do anything about our hair. Some of us know that very well. But Jesus says, let the hair on your head remind you of who you are, how valued and loved you are. Seek to honor God and do his will in every circumstance, in every situation, in every trial. Honor God and say, God, I want to seek after your will, your kingdom, your priorities, your righteousness. I want to honor you. And that might mean making really difficult decisions. Seek first the kingdom. Seek to honor God. Pray about your situation. Philippians 4, you know this passage. We've looked at it numbers of times. Where Paul says, bring your request with thanksgiving. Make your petition. Bring your request before your father because he wants to bless you and he wants to hear you and he wants to care for you. That is the remedy for anxiety. Talk to your father. And and in that passage, Paul says, and the peace of God will come into your heart. Last one, surrender your concerns. You know, 1 Peter 5, Paul says, humble yourself. Uh, sorry, Peter says, humble yourself, draw near to God. God opposes, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then straight after that, he's, he's when he says, cast all your cares on him. We, we like that bit, cast all your cares, but we don't read the verse before that says, humble yourself, which means submit to God, surrender to him. And when you cast your care, this is the hardest part, is being able to leave it with God and going, God, I trust you with the outcome. I trust you with the outcome. Cast it. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes and just going to give you a moment to let the peace of God come into your heart. And I want to read you this verse from Isaiah 26 and let that just 
sit on your heart. Isaiah 26 verse 3 and 4 says this, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Thank you, Jesus. Worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit. As you're reflecting, I want you to imagine your circumstance, your concern, your worry that's causing you anxiety right now, whatever that might be. And I want you in your mind and in your heart to imagine putting that into the Father's hands. His big, strong, mighty, powerful hands. And to see that in his hands, no matter how big that problem seems in your hands, in his hands, it is dwarfed. It shrinks. And the Father's hands are massive. They're huge as they hold you, as they hold your problem. He's got you. He's got you. Imagine letting go and leaving it in his hands. Surrendering it to him. And receiving instead his love, his grace, his strength, and his peace in this moment. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, we thank you for your peace. Lord, the peace you give is not like the way the world gives peace. The peace you give is rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in his love displayed on the cross. It's rooted in your heavenly fatherly care for us as your kids. And we rest in you in this moment. We surrender to your love and invite your peace to come to steal our hearts, to calm our anxieties and our worries, to bring rest for our soul. Thank you, Father, that you know us, you know what we need before we even ask. Holy Spirit, 
for those who can't even utter a prayer, whose burdens are so heavy that all they've got is groans. Will you help them in their weakness? Will you assure them of your love as you pray for them? Thank you for the truth of your word, Father. I pray that as we go from here and we meditate on these scriptures and we reflect on them this week, that we would walk in your peace. We would walk in your presence. And Lord, that those around us who are troubled, who are anxious, who are worried, will see, Lord, evidence of the reality of your heavenly peace in our hearts and in our lives as we go through the same storms that they go through, feel the same concerns and the worries and the anxieties. But within all of that, we walk in peace. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. For listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.